Hi there, it's Eric Lordy. Hi, I'm Peter Gifford, an EIR with Propel ICT. Hi, I'm Charlotte Rudland, EIR at Propel ICT. My name is David Hache. I am applying to Propel this year. And we are at UIT. Uh, so you're here to talk today about uh, the uh, launch, the Propel applications, uh, launch and build. But uh, talk a bit about what's going on for the Sydney one specifically. Yeah, so uh, we're really excited. We're going to be in Sydney for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, last year we started, we entered into um, the Charlottetown market. Uh, and this year we're really excited to move into Sydney and start delivering great content here. Um, so we're going to be delivering the launch program, which is for early stage technology startups. Um, and so we're bringing in speakers from right across Canada and hopefully a few from the United States. Um, and so the, the same folks who are presenting in St. John's and Halifax are going to be getting are going to be coming to Sydney um, to make sure that all the startups get all this great content. Uh, and I to plug UIT, we're really excited about getting a bunch of those people in to speak to our students as well. It's going to be really neat having all these people travel into our region to, to talk about stuff. Yeah, absolutely. How many uh, companies went through Charlottetown last year? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. I think it was between six and eight. I'm not sure the no. exact number, but about six or eight. Cool. Um, so our, our and, and just generally, our cohorts are pretty small. So we mm-hmm. do between six and nine. Um, we can do up to 12, but usually six to nine startups. Mm-hmm. Uh, in each location. It's a good balance because it gives us time to spend uh, one-on-one with the companies, but it also, um, a, there's enough people where they can start being competitive and sharing ideas mm-hmm. and, and, and those kinds of things. And you also get the peer-to-peer, so mm-hmm. you can uh, help each other out and support each other yeah. as, as you go um, between companies as well. And I mean, market saturation. I, I love our region, but we're not a booming metropolis of people, right? You're only going to get so many companies on an annual basis anyway, right? Yeah, I feel like we were looking at applications yesterday. It's a surprising number. Um, Propel ICT's seen applications. Now, this would be inter- like including international applications, but over 400 in the last three cohorts. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. We've invited, uh, I, I want to say something like between just over 150 to selection camps. Uh, and we've worked with uh, just over 100 or just under 100. Uh, companies in the last, that's just the last three cohorts. Hmm. Um, so the number of companies that we're working with is actually quite high. And that's kind of the cool thing about the launch program hmm. is you're, you're taking these early stage founders and seeing uh, what they've got. Um, Dave, you're new to the concept of, uh, to the, the tech ecosystem in Atlanta, Canada is sort of new to you. Did you know this much stuff was happening around here before you got involved? No, I, I, I didn't. It's been amazing to see the, the ecosystem that exists and the support and, um, you know, the, uh, the the stepwise progression that is sort of laid out as I'm, you know, gone from in the last year, gone from, you know, a, a, an idea that's been uh, brewing in my head in my spare time while I was doing something else to deciding to pursue it through um, through UIT was my first idea. Uh, so that started in September and was a, a great uh, segue to, to starting to build some skills and starting to network. I've since met a, a technical partner that uh, I'm going to be moving forward with, uh, specifically in this UIT program, which was amazing because, you know, we've known each other since September now, and he's got a, a great set of technical skills and was not someone that I had in my corner before coming here. And now Propel has landed at our foot, at our, at our feet here in the next month or two. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's been so supportive and it's been a, a real logical progression and, and I'm excited about the next few steps. My um, my background coming into tech is uh, as a developer and I just worked my way up through things. And 
up until I was 30, I worked in hospitality and tourism. So this, the whole tech ecosystem is very new to me. Uh, but even Sydney, like five years ago when I got into it, uh, I didn't know who was doing what around me. Uh, and it seems like the past few years, I mean, we've got Navigate locally is really connecting people. Propel's doing similar things in other cities and here going forward. Uh, I really do feel like it's just gotten better. Uh, would you think that as somebody uh, running a startup, that's been your experience as well? Absolutely. Um, since starting two and a half years ago in Halifax, just seeing how all of Atlantic Canada seems to have this momentum and it keeps spreading and the excitement is spreading and the support is spreading. So mm -hmm. as you have, you know, programs like Propel that are expanding their footprint to cover the whole region and you have local partners that are really, you know, excited and supportive as well. And I think as you have more and more companies joining in, you also have a bigger network of companies in different stages that can mm -hmm. also support each other as well. And so I think I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's really, you know, it's taking off. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, not, spreading that entrepreneurial network, I think will help facilitate spreading the entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people in the land of Canada who have great ideas and, you know, spare capacity, but they just don't have the, the courage and the confidence to try and do something with it. And I think that there are, you know, uh, big employers that just have not, come out of Atlantic Canada because, you know, people haven't felt as though they are capable of taking that first and second step. Yeah. There's, uh, uh, I mean, there's been a number of fairly decent successes. We certainly owe a lot of UIT's existence to Gavin Uma and everything mm -hmm. that, that happened uh, with the Go Instant. Um, and it's nice to see that whenever somebody does find success at that level, they like they give back to the community. I think that's going to be a big impetus for further growth because you're going to see people are going to remember I was a scrappy young startup when there weren't that many scrappy young startups. And as uh, people pull ahead and grow bigger, uh, they're pretty likely to remember their roots. And I, is that an Atlantic Canadian thing? Like you, we like to think we're like friendly and help and, and all that stuff. I, I think culturally there's an element of that at play. I love the I love the give, the give back mentality. I think yeah. it's fantastic. Um, for me, it's a lot of the reason why I'm doing Propel mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, so before uh, before joining the team, I had a startup called Extreme Motion Innovation, um, and for a whole bunch of reasons, it didn't work out. But at the, but along the way, I just received so much help from. Uh, people in the ecosystem that I was like, I need to find a way to keep mm -hmm. going back to the, you know, you can go and get a, a regular job nine to five. Um, but it wasn't really my interest. I was way more excited about working with the startups and trying to make sure that, you know, for one, they didn't make the same mistakes that we made mm -hmm. and we made tons. Um, but also that uh, they could get to, you know, get to revenue, get to customers a lot faster. Um, and, and so that, that I think, that, that giving back mentality is I, should be true um, even when you're not necessarily financially successful mm -hmm. um, because I think it, you know you're gonna learn a lot uh, and sharing that learning uh, and giving back until you can start your next thing is is really important as well yeah that speaks to the whole startup mindset the the founder mindset right like you like you gotta be, you have you must have some empathy for the struggles you've gone through as a founder when you see other people doing similar things and be like wait wait let me help you with that and sometimes <laughs> it's not even about help it's just being there to listen and mm -hmm. and having that empathy and understanding like I I might not know exactly what you're going through but yeah. I I do understand what you're going through at the same time and sometimes all you need is knowing that there's someone else around who gets it mm -hmm. who gets you um, because founders do go through things that non-founders 
even early employees don't. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you can't build a company without your team for sure. But when it comes to, you know, what founders go through, it, it is something that, you know, you need to stick together. That's the neat thing about uh, tech because people think of tech as like uh, a Tech is a thing, but tech is an umbrella that everything else sort of exists under, right? You've got fintech, you've got edtech, you've got games, you've got all these things. So like technical uh, mentorship between uh, founders of different tech companies may not be viable, but the experiential membership is huge, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't think, I don't, I don't think I personally realized that was how it was going to be until I got into the, the environment and understood what was going on. Like if you're not in it, you don't really realize the ecosystem is so much more broad and diverse than you'd initially think. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I'm not, that was just a statement. I don't have a question. Yeah, no. Again, awkward podcast. The, the, thing, the right? exciting <laughs> thing about, you know, entrepreneurs and founders is they come from all walks of life. They mm -hmm. could be barely 20 years old. They could be, you know, in their second or third career and moving on to something with amazing background, always, you know, following their path, not necessarily a linear thing like like mm -hmm. a, maybe a traditional career path, but it's always exciting to learn about, you know, what brought you to what you're doing now and how it all seems to be coming together or how you're using it. Um, Propel, uh, is there a solid, uh, like, percentage of founders right out of high school? Are you seeing much of that? Uh, we've had a few. Yeah. I, I, I would say that the number of out of high school yeah. is it's probably pretty But well. like a couple years post high school? Yeah, so more no? commonly we get people who are sort of midway through their university or college career. Mm -hmm. um, they've, they've got some background in technology. Something's driven them nuts. And mm -hmm. like um, I find often with startups uh, with very young founders, the, the problems that they're facing are very like – they're they're very relevant to to uh, younger people or younger younger people generally. Yeah, um, which is great because I mean, like, there are problems that I, I may not face or Charlotte you may not face. Mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not not a problem. Um, so yeah, we are getting younger founders. I think the founders are the those founders um, typically have like the craziest ideas on <laughs> how, to, how to grow their startup and get their audience. Sure. Uh, and that's I I tend to learn a lot from those folks. Well, then you also have some outliers like. Uh like Alex Gillis yeah. from Bitness. He, mm -hmm. when I met him, he was barely 16 onto his third company. And now he's studying at UBC. Oh, wow. Very, very inspirational. Well, yeah. So that would have been, that would have been my example. It's yeah. Like one of the few companies that we've had that was in high school when he, mm -hmm. he was going through the program. And That's he neat. He ended up on stage at the regional demo. Yes, he did. It, so. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, one of the UIT students, actually Dave's uh, technical co-founder or technical, Dave's current partner. Uh, I hate throwing labels around because I don't know what you're actually up to. Andrew, let's call him by his name. <laughs> uh, at 16, competed in the first Mercado Hackathon and had a really, really good idea and pitched it in front of like a room full of like really high-level tech folks uh, and is currently working on writing his own programming language, which is the nerdiest thing I've encountered. And like as a programmer who's really passionate about programming, it's never crossed my mind to write my own programming language. Uh I don't know if that happens. Like, that's a fun quirk. I like that. I think uh, that was a solid person to find. Do you think um, high school is uh, helping people gear towards that or there needs to be more work done there? Like your, your, your high school uh, applicants, would they be more polished and therefore possibly better for Propel? Or do you think the quirkiness that comes from not having uh, specific training up until that point helped them in some way? 
That's a weird question. You know what I mean, though? Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm not sure. Sadly, I, I hate to admit this. High school was so far ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that I, I like we didn't like it. Just wasn't an option for me when I was going through to have mm-hmm. any sort of a tech like uh, computer tech background. Mm-hmm. You know, besides we had computers. In the yeah, same as me. Stuff like it just wasn't <laughs> an option. It seems like it's so much more like people, um, folks in general are way, way, way more likely. Um, to have built something, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's that's good. The more that we can get people ready to do that kind of stuff is good. There's a lot of you know coding for kids, mm-hmm. kids learning to code. Um, so you know the whole idea of coding and programming and also entrepreneurship is, you know, moving down even towards elementary school. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's really exciting to see that they're taking it on their own. It may some of it may come from school, but some of it may come from their own interest or their encouragement from their parents mm-hmm. um, that they then take with them. I suppose the bigger, the more funnels you can get into that is really the key. Yeah. Yeah, there's not really a better way. It's whatever works for whoever's exactly. going up through and, it. And I think that's that's an interesting point that you were making as well. Is like there's so there's in the classroom, and then there's all the stuff that you can do on your own now. Mm-hmm. And there's like a dozen different options on mm-hmm. how you can figure out to how, like how to build something. Yeah. So like a little bit of Google search, and yeah. a little bit like a little bit of time and a little bit of effort, and all of a sudden you can figure out how to develop a, like a, a basic app or a basic program, and and that's just that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I learned about their their summer camps now for robotics and for programming, not only for you know basketball and canoeing. So I thought that's cool. I recently saw a um, <clears throat> funding for JA alums. So it seems as though Junior Achievement is creating a pathway, oh, an entrepreneurial pathway. Yeah, that, uh, that might be something. It was a program that I wished I had done in when I was younger. I didn't participate. I was doing other things. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, that, that seems like something that perhaps is receiving a little bit of focus and a, and a little bit of uh, creating some sort of continuity um, for people, students who come out of that program. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, one thing that I, you know, going through university, uh, I did a bachelor of management, um, so very general business, and tried to take as many electives as possible, but coding was definitely not one that ever crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was always important, no matter what your passion is, to take at least one business course, because at least, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to have to sell it somehow. Mm-hmm. But I would add into that now that no matter what you do, learn how to code, even if it's, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's it's nice to see that that's being spread out more. Uh, there's some movements, or some some initiatives in Nova Scotia to get that into the classrooms. Uh, I'm I like I got into coding because I had to leave a fairly solid hospitality and tourism job to move to Sydney Mines, and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. My wife had graduated after nine years of university, so I wasn't about to say no. I'm not going to leave my job so you can't pursue yours. But I really had to soul search about what I wanted to be doing and what was going to last. Uh, and I think the internet's probably a solid thing to bet on. I, I think, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, it worked out well. Um, you got Propel, uh, do you have the Propel motto uh, available off the top of your head? I want to talk about unicorns. All right. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're aiming to, to be affiliated with um, and, and help um, the first billion dollar car, uh, startup mm-hmm. start out of Atlanta, Canada. Um, so I, I, I want to qualify that and I want to say like, we're working with early and mid-stage startups, right? Um, so when we when we see the startups, often they probably don't yet look like billion-dollar mm-hmm. ideas. Um, but we want to be affiliated with them. We want to give them the foundation that they need to be able to take it to that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing that by bringing as as much 
great content uh, to the startup ecosystem as we can and work with as many startups as we can um, to really get them going. But what is an early stage? So uh, for anybody listening who doesn't know the term, uh, unicorn is the overused industry term for billion dollar startups um, because they're magical beasts that are hard to catch. Um, what does an early stage unicorn look like? Like that does, that's not a thing, right? Yeah, I don't know. It just happened. I think if we, could, if we knew that, I'd raise a fund and just start investing. Exactly, in right? <laughs> so I, I find that the unicorn chasing thing is just, uh, I, I, the, you guys phrase it really well. The concept of trying to uh, be affiliated with one uh, and helping as many people get off the ground because it, it eventually just sort of happens. Like you do the best you can to get there, but there's an element of like serendipity to reaching that. And it's never a linear process, oh, right? Yeah. So, you know, when you come across, you know, startups, they might be a good idea, but then they morph into something else. Mm -hmm. It might change direction a little bit. And then all of a sudden it takes off. Yeah. You never know. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah. That NPR podcast we were talking about earlier, How I Built That, is a great example of uh, a bunch of people saying, we did not realize that this was going to blow up the way it did. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, like all of the, I think the cool thing about that podcast is they really spent time trying to, to not make it be like, and then we woke up and we were a billion dollar startup, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like it's, it's cool to talk about the grind that they had to put in early on mm -hmm. um, so that not knowing necessarily that at the end they had this fabulous company that was growing mm -hmm. really, really quickly. Um, so I, I think there's some cool in early indicators amongst those um, high growth startups that are worth sort of a billion dollars plus. Mm -hmm. um, certainly the growth rate is the big one and the growth rate early on um, and their ability to acquire customers organically mm -hmm. um, or through like non-traditional tactics. Um, you know, so Airbnb and Instagram are great examples. Mm -hmm. Airbnb's strategy of like flying to New York and taking pictures for people yeah. um, and using that as a, a way to drive traffic to their website because the pictures now look at, uh, appealing and so you feel comfortable coming into the house. Um, like I, I think that that's an interesting uh, tactic. It certainly drove a lot of growth. And so um, if, we can, if we can get startups onto that track of thinking uniquely so that they're able to acquire large large quantities of users if you're in a b2c space mm -hmm. um, is, is kind of clever and then also figuring out how to get you know if you're selling business to business how do you, how do you get those businesses to to trust you to take that step I think one of the points there too is that, you know, early on you have to be tactical and creative in ways that maybe aren't scalable, mm -hmm. but you, you prove out and validate the idea that you then want to make scalable. Mm -hmm. So flying to New York and taking photos is obviously not scalable. But, but it added a huge amount of value. But it added a huge yeah. amount of value and it validated the idea. Mm -hmm. and you can then, you can then, you know, automate that later. The, uh, the uh, Pinterest going to the uh, Apple store and changing the home screens of all the machines to Pinterest. Story. Like, I don't know if that's like genius or desperation or both, but it's such a good uh, like outside the box mentality, right? Uh, it's 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 really neat. But at its heart, I think I was reading something that said that uh, you know a billion dollar company it takes four hundred startups to find a billion dollar company, or it was it was effectively a numbers game. Hmm. And you know, I, oh, I don't, uh, background Dave spent so, ten years on Wall Street and is really big on numbers. Uh, so he thinks about numbers, and I trust everything he says involving numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that, that, that it just it takes a lot of startups to find you know the one that works. Mm -hmm. So you're throwing you know you're throwing a lot. Of, the more darts you throw at the board, the more likely you are to find the one that hits the bullseye, mm -hmm. I guess. And yeah, you know, know we I might. Know. We, I think the argument to that would be that you've got to you want. I think it probably takes 400 really high quality startups to find a billion dollar startup. Hmm. Um, I, and the the reason I say that is. At the at the moment, startups 
can be really cool. And, and we certainly want to work with as many startups as we can. Um, but there are certainly some, like, we're really excited about working with kind of the best startups um, mm -hmm. in Atlantic Canada. Um, and, and the ones that are that really have an opportunity to grow quickly. Um, and we think that by betting on as many good startups as we can, we're more likely to find that really great company. Um, well, there's a lot that goes into a really great startup, right? You've got the idea, your founding team, the there's a bunch of stuff. Well, I would say the community that supported them mm -hmm. to the point where they came into the program. I mean, like we we come in and support these companies at a point at a point when um, you know they've got they've got their idea. Mm -hmm. They're they're pretty committed to what they're doing. You know, maybe they're doing a couple of little projects to get customers in, or they're chatting with folks. I mean. Getting to that point takes a community of mm -hmm. folks right across Atlantic Canada um, who are supporting the early ideation. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and then, you know, maybe they participate in like a startup weekend or something like that and they get a team and then, and then they apply to Propel ICT or, you know, they go through UIT or they're um, a member of one of the incubators or, you know, yeah. whatever it is that, that got them to that ideation piece. Um, and then they're through that and now they're looking at going through launch. And so we play a role in that part. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, as they grow, we sort of look for, the, you know, the top performing launch companies to apply to build. Uh, and we offer a, a brand, like a, a totally different program to the build companies. Um, and that's aimed at companies that are a little later on and, and how you sort of service those companies. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we expect the companies are going to need to do a whole bunch of, uh, of other stuff. And, and we're starting to see. Um, some of our top companies being accept, accepted into other accelerators. Oh, great. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean. Yeah, I we think. were accepted into Founder Fuel following Propel ICT. So, Founder Fuel is uh, based in Montreal, mm -hmm. run by the Real Ventures uh, Fund. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we also participated in Google last year. We oh, were chosen to pitch in, in Mountain View, uh, one of the 11 companies across North America. Um, so, and we also have another alumni from Propel who went to 500 startups. Um, so, you know, we are spreading our, our wings, but then mm -hmm. also taking it back to back I mean, home. the networking, like you can, so there's the path of least resistance. Now that you've gone down that track, uh, you can help other founders. Like, Absolutely. here's how I navigated that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just wanted to add one more point too. you know, when it takes, what it takes to build a startup, you know, you have to have the idea, you have to have the team, mm -hmm. you might have some validation. And I think, you know, where Propel ICT comes in, because we went through the program ourselves. Um, one of the things that you know, they say is that, you know, idea doesn't mean anything without execution. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Propel really comes in to play at that right stage to help companies figure out that execution. Because mm -hmm. you, you have a million ideas, but it's about how you actually execute it. So I think that's where Propel adds a lot of value at the stage. Cool. Yeah. Dave, are you ready to execute? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. No hesitation. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so this is really solid. I'm really happy with this uh, first foray into podcasting this. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank um, you for us. One last thing. Uh, I, just, I just have to. Uh, what tech trends? 2017. Do you have any like tech or entrepreneurship trends? It's the start of the year. I've been reading nothing but like articles about here are the five big trends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Do you have anything that you think? Right. So... Yeah, I, I think um, from what I've seen, and I think it already started um, before 2016, but picking up in 2016, I think it's going to continue when it comes to tech, is um, is machine learning and mm -hmm. AI. And I think that, you know, over the coming few years, even companies who don't think of themselves as a machine learning or AI company, they're going to need to become 
mm-hmm. a machine learning AI company to be relevant not only now but later. Mm-hmm. So it might not be the problem that they're solving right now that becomes an AI company, but it's the data that they then be, make create the value and, and become an AI company. So I think that's overall. I think that's one of the biggest trends, and you can see that you know oh, um, yeah. playing up for sure. Um, so and then you have you know different sectors that I think are starting to show a lot. Uh, you know more. Uh, like fintech, for example, fintechs become you know more and more interesting, especially with blockchain technology coming into the forefront, mm-hmm. um, and then you know legal tech as well, um, even you know uh, science, you know clean tech, all of those those things are all coming picking up as well. So, what do you think about, uh, or, or do you spend much time thinking about VR and AR? So VR and AR, AR is reality, mm-hmm. and that like notion of being mixed reality and. So I've just been listening to more and more about that kind of stuff. So I taught a uh, workshop uh, last year on making games in Unity. Uh, and I've been thinking a lot about that just in general because uh, the tech, like the hardware isn't where it's going to end up. No. Like so, th- and that's where like early, like think about Google Glass. I'm a huge Google fanboy. Uh, I didn't get involved in Google Glass. Uh, Brian Best locally has a pair. Uh, it's fun to play around with, but it didn't like, it just, it wasn't viable for a number of reasons. Uh, and I think until somebody locks in the VR, the AR tech components, like the hardware, to like 80% of what the final thing is going to be, uh, it's tough to get involved because it's a lot of gambling. Like what if you bet on Google Glass and then that goes nowhere, then you need to pivot into a whole new platform, right? Yeah. But I think like uh, AR itself, uh, have you seen the Microsoft HoloLens oh, commercial? Yeah, I think it's so cool. Like, my, but they, so like you talk about uh, uh, automated driving, putting truckers out of business and all that stuff. HoloLens is going to put decorating your house out of business because you're just going to have four AR headsets at the door entry to your house and you're going to decorate your house like you would a Sims game. <laughs> and people are just going to walk around your house and see whatever you want them to see. Your television's wherever you want it to be. Yeah. And now the, the, and the main impediment at that point is that you need to be wearing a backpack and there's no telemetry. Like the telemetry that does that is on Google self-driving cars. It's not small enough yet. But as soon as they miniaturize that to a level that you can wear it comfortably, uh, it's going to literally change the world. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like it's cool to think about the way that it'll change your home. But mm-hmm. like, I think it, I think I've thought a lot about it in terms of shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't have any answers on on that. But yep. I do think. Uh, I do think it could be really cool in, in in the way that people shop and the way that you interact with customers mm-hmm. um, and that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm certainly interested in the in the VR AR space and where it's headed. Um, I'm I was actually really surprised we were looking at our I was looking at our applications earlier today. Um, I'm surprised that we didn't get any more um, Nintendo. Um, Oh, the Switch? No, no, no. Oh. What was the game that was playing this summer? Oh, Pokemon Go. Yeah. Oh, Pokemon yeah. Go. I figured like, we were yeah. going to have a thousand Pokemon Go knockoffs. <laughs> I-, I paid attention to Pokemon Go because it was like, we're a tech accelerator. We're going to get yeah. a bunch of these. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm interested to see what like version two of Pokemon Go looks like mm-hmm. and what other um, sort of augmented reality um, games kind of come up as a, as a consequence to that game being launched. Mm-hmm. And then how the hardware evolves too. Yeah. yeah. Because I don't think we've quite seen the hardware evolving to, to uh, support that ecosystem to the extent that it probably will in very short order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, think, I think AR is, I'm very excited about AR. AR is going to be really I think the, the dawn of AR is, is imminent. I think VR is still a little ways away, but I think AR is, is going to, you know, I wish that you had a thousand Pokemon Go competitors. Like I'd like to see more people <laughs> doing stuff with that yeah well hopefully that like so it seems to have really died off quite a lot mm. um so I'm, I'm hopeful that they can sort of either figure out how to rejuvenate that community with some sort of an update or they can figure out 
uh, what's next mm-hmm. um, in that in that kind of right. space. Disney does something, or you know, we yeah. need we need the next. We need that to either get more Pokemon Go to reinvigorate himself or the next one next. It mm-hmm. was kind of cool. The thing I liked about the AR play on that one was that it was more of a community. It ended up being a game that you did with friends, mm-hmm. um, and so I and it got you out of the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. yep. I've done uh, a little bit of VR. I was lucky to I got to try one of the. I can't remember which one it was. Anyway, it, it ended up feeling very lonely. Yep. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're just sort of like plugged into a TV that's really close to your face. And and so I think they've got VR's got a little bit of work to do in terms of how you interact with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but AR just seems way more intrinsically social, yep. um, which is which is good. And if, if we can get people out and doing stuff, like we actually opportunities there for sure. We have an Oculus Rift in the other room, oh, cool. uh, and I've helped set it up. Uh, and I try to steal it whenever I can because it's not ours, but it's fun to play with. Yeah. But it's fun to play with by yourself because – and like my wife would just throw stuff at me while I was in our living room playing with VR trying to set this thing up because there's no sense of uh, anything else around you. Um, but on the other hand, if you have a solid enough virtual world around you, then that works, right? Just don't have anybody in the room with you because they'll trip you or something. <laughs> it's, but I, there, I think like VR and AR get lumped together, but yeah. I think they're going to branch off in totally different directions. Yeah. It's just like v, AR is an overlay for – like you're talking about shopping. Think about walking around Walmart and you could just have a visual overlay of all the items on the shelf. Or you could just see based on spatial location, like I just need to walk in that direction and get arrows to where to find the thing in the Walmart superstore. Yeah, and those – I mean like those are even kind of the basics mm-hmm. applications. I'm really interested in like what happens in that like, – past the like the shop like shop sort of oh what's this product and mm-hmm. the details behind it and the location aware type stuff like what's the what are the real next opportunities like when i walk into a store mm-hmm. what does the store know about me because i'm there and what can they do as a as a consequence to that mm-hmm. um, and so there's some cool opportunities with augmented reality in that space as well especially in that like so there's a lot i think there's lots of b2c opportunities mm-hmm. um or business to consumer but i think that there's probably equally and maybe more valuable opportunities in the b2b space um big or, brother is marketing yeah. um have you guys all seen uh black mirror on netflix just started oh my just goodness started. it is the best television show i've ever watched and it touches on the vr and ar thing so well okay. uh there's a, it, every episode is a one-off they're on netflix uh it's so good. Yeah, the yeah. second one, I guess, was the one where it was the 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 um, the VR oh, in the haunted house. Or yeah, something. the haunted house VR was really good. That was yeah. that was yeah. They're they're all really good, but they're all very different. You have to be ready to mm-hmm. you have to be ready for that kind of okay. show. It's not just it's like so good. It's not just a sitcom. Every episode is totally independent from the other ones. So whatever happens, like there's no okay, tie-ins. So but c- like... conceptually, some of them have similar things. Like uh, a lot of them have contact lenses that provide AR. Okay. Like that's just the world they live in. And it touches on like how that changes society uh, in really, really, really interesting ways. I can't say enough good things about Black Mirror. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I haven't stopped saying enough good things about Black Mirror. <laughs> Serious plug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, Propel, uh, Propel, let's talk a bit more about, let's start end on that. Uh, so tonight, uh, you're going to be, uh, at the uh, monthly mixer, which yep. we're super excited for. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, have you been to the upstairs yet? No. It is, uh, here it's great. It's delightfully sketchy. Uh, but it's a really, really good venue for just like super casual, uh, 
it's it's like Tech Social is a great uh, networking event that is uh, polished. The monthly mixer is just where we get together after work once a month to have beers. So it's it's been <laughs> cool. We like this is my third trip to Sydney in the month, mm-hmm. um, or a little over a month, and so it's been really great uh, getting to know the folks who are here in Sydney, uh, finding out more about what's going on here. And there's some incredible things that are happening here in Sydney. I think you guys have lots to brag about here. Um, and, and you should. Um, we're we're excited to really put together a, a great cohort, and so to do that, it means investing in the community, meeting folks, finding out what they're doing, and mm-hmm. figuring out how we can help. Um, because every community is a little bit different, um, and and sure, we're going to del- deliver the exact same program with the exact same speakers. Um, but how do we tweak it so that it's really really sort of focused on Sydney and and Halifax and the rest of the communities that we're delivering in? Cool. Well, yeah. we appreciate your effort. Is this your first trip up to Sydney with Propel? No, I actually, well, with, with Propel, Propel, yes, but I have family in, in Cape Breton, so I've Excellent. spent a fair amount of time here. There's some of that founder giving backness then, right? There yeah, you go. Gotta love that. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's wrap it up. This was awesome. Uh, just for the record, we got 35 minutes of sweet conversation, yeah. right? How cool is that? Awesome. Uh, so uh, this is Eric. Uh, I'm with Peter and Charlotte from uh, Propel and Dave from uh, UIT. And uh, thanks for listening. And this is at UIT. Ah, yes, the podcast name. (laughs) Now it ends on me being awkward. Thank you.